Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, as I thought in my last podcast, when the Federal Reserve issued its press release yesterday afternoon at two o'clock, Janet Yellen did not give the markets the lifesaver they were hoping for. In a way, it was almost as if she threw them an anchor instead because the Dow Jones ended up falling about 200 points as a result of the disappointing uh, Fed statement. It was dovish, but just not quite dovish enough to help the market. And even though the Dow recovered uh, about half those gains uh, today, Dow was up about 125, I think the market is still on the defensive, given the fact that Janet Yellen still did not really veer uh, from the projected path of rate hikes, even though the Fed went out of its way in its statement to say that the tightening would be very gradual and that rates would still be very low for a long time. And the Fed did reiterate that is going to continue reinvesting all of the maturing bonds so that the balance sheet will not shrink at all. They will continue to reinvest interest and principal payments, meaning the balance sheet will, in fact, grow uh, because the interest payments are also reinvested, not just the the dividends. So it's still QE, uh, just a much more slimmed down version. But again, I do expect full-blown QE4 to come certainly before the November election. But I I do believe that this is the first step in the direction of a reversal of policy. Because what Janet Yellen did, in fact, say is she acknowledged that economic growth had slowed last year. And in fact, it is slowing more at the end of last year. We'll see that when we get the uh, first look at the fourth quarter GDP tomorrow. Uh, But I think that economic slowdown is continuing here in 2016. So she acknowledged the economy was slowing. They also said that they were monitoring the situation in the global uh, markets and in the financial markets. So they're monitoring it. Obviously, they can't like what they're monitoring, right? And they're going to take into consideration 
the effects that they believe that might have on economic growth, inflation, and employment. Now, obviously, uh, the effects on economic growth and employment are going to be negative, right? The reverse wealth effect. The Fed puts a lot of stock in the wealth effect. Well, it's a two-edged sword. Also, uh, Janet Yellen did mention, or the statement did mention, that they are still targeting the 2% inflation, but that they're not quite there. And so they also left that open that, well, you know, we're not really at the 2% yet. And so they expressed some concern that they might not meet that goal. So to me, acknowledging the economy is slowing, going out of their way to mention that they are monitoring uh, what's going on in the financial markets and the global economy. To me, that is a nod in this direction. It's an easing in a way from the rhetoric, but it's not enough. And as I said yesterday, the, the Fed is going to have to do a lot more than just that subtle suggestion. But for me, I think it was enough to really turn, right? If you look at what's happened to the dollar, the dollar's been weakening, uh, weakened yesterday, it weakened across the board again today. Oil prices have moved up a bit. I mean, gold, gold stocks have actually done a little bit better than gold the last couple of days. Look, gold and silver were both hit today. Gold was down about 10, 11 bucks, silver down maybe almost 30 cents. There was a huge sell order that came in early in the morning and just knocked the markets down in about a minute, uh, which has been typical. I mean, that happens. Maybe somebody didn't really want the price, uh, the price to move up today because it looked like uh, the metal was poised to continue to move higher. We got through, I think, 11.25 yesterday on the price of gold. And so still making some good progress ever since the Fed hiked rates. But we'll see what happens tomorrow when we get the GDP. But one of the reasons it looked like today was going to be a big day for gold, or should have been, was the economic news that came out early this morning on durable goods for December. Horrible, horrible number. And this is going to go into the fourth quarter of GDP. But they were looking for a plus 02 right? Two-tenths of a percent increase in durable goods. And that was following a 0% gain in November. So November was zero, and they were looking for a slight improvement to up 0.2. Instead, number one, they revised November zero to minus a half. And then instead of improving 0.2, we dropped 5.1. Huge decline. I mean, you got to go back to the 08 financial crisis to find a durable good number that bad. And, you know, it gets worse when you look at, you know, the details. You strip out transportation. They were looking for zero. Instead, we got minus 1.2. And on top of that, they took last month's minus 0.1 and they made it minus 0.5. And the worst one is probably core capital goods. That Last month was down 0.4. I'm not sure what they were looking for this month, but we got minus 4.3, and they revised last month's from minus 0.4 to minus 1.1. And year-over-year capital goods, down 7.5%. Huge decline year-over-year. And in fact, the decline for November year-over-year was revised upwards from minus 1.8 to minus 2.5. So this is a really bad number. So given this number... And the Fed's statement yesterday that was more, you know, a, a bit more dovish than the last time they, they released something, I would have thought that gold would have built on its momentum, uh, but for that big sell order that happened real early in the morning. And I think it started in silver. 
and then it, it bled over into gold. But I think, you know, the gold stocks held up pretty well today. In fact, many of them were positive for most of the day, despite the big drop in gold. So I think that we're going to get a good rally tomorrow if we get a, a weak GDP number, which, you know, now a lot of people are looking for a weak number, right? The consensus is now down to about 1%, so which is pretty bad. But I think whatever number we get, it's going to be revised lower. So I think it's going to be weaker than whatever we get. And I think ultimately, by the time they finish doing all the revisions, I would expect the fourth quarter to be a negative number and that the fourth quarter of 2015 was the beginning of this greater recession that we're in now. And, you know, I think the Fed is probably very disappointed in the reaction to their statement uh, in the markets because they clearly were worried about the markets. But they, you know, they're trying to walk this fine line because they don't want to lose their credibility. They don't, they don't want to immediately say they're going to raise rates. And they don't want to say it's because of the market. I think what they want is they want to get some economic data. Uh, they want to see an increase maybe in the unemployment rate or some real weak GDP numbers so they can pretend that they're changing their policy based on the economy not on the markets. But I think the only effect that their policy had was on the markets. It didn't really have any effect on the real economy. The real economy has been a disaster the whole time. It's just that the Fed refuses to acknowledge that because they don't want to admit what they're doing is not working. Now, I wanted to talk about this article that I put up on my Facebook page. And it was an article, a Bloomberg article. And of course, Bloomberg always comes up with you know some of the worst articles on economics. I mean, you really have to flunk a course in economics to get a job as a writer for, for Bloomberg. But this is a story about the inflation problem in Australia and how it's been solved. Now, normally, if you read an article about an inflation problem, you would think, oh, they must have a lot of inflation and they solved the problem because now they, they, they brought the inflation rate down. Uh-uh. It's actually the opposite. The inflation problem that the article is writing about is that there wasn't enough of it. That was their problem. See, inflation was too low. And the problem's been solved because now it's higher. Hey, great news. And of course, they blame it on the big drop in the Australian dollar, which means all these imported prices are higher. So now Australians have to pay more for all the goods that are being imported. And, and so this solved their problem. And now inflation is higher. And it's about, hey, this is a lucky break. This is great news for the Reserve Bank of Australia. You know, they're not dealing with the inflation problem that so many other central banks have because they have the inflation. The other banks don't, the other central banks don't have inflation. So they've got the problem, right? You, they've got it bass backwards, you know. But can you imagine, you, you know, the, the, so if you just take out the word inflation, the problem was that the cost of living was rising too slowly. And now the problem is solved because the cost of living is rising more rapidly. And this is good news. It is good news for the people in Australia that their rents are going up more or the cost of food is going up more, the cost of clothing or whatever it is they're buying. The fact that it's now more expensive, that's good news because they really dodged a bullet because it wasn't for the lucky break of having their currency go down. Right. They wouldn't they wouldn't have been poor that being poor is good. Being able to afford more things that's bad. And, you know, when, when my father wrote his book, The Biggest Con, and I know uh, many of you ordered that book, and it's a fantastic book, and I, I'm pretty sure we're out of them, so don't, you know, you don't, there's no more to, to, I don't have any more to sell. The only ones I think I have left, I know I have The Kingdom of Malls, I and mean, we I still have plenty of copies of Kings of Malls. You can order that book. 
at Shift Books. And uh, we still have some copies of The Federal Mafia, believe it or not. So if you haven't got that one, uh, that's the book that my father wrote that was banned. So we still have some of those. Uh, but I'm pretty sure all the rest are gone. But anyway, you go to uh, shiftbooks.com uh, to look at the books that I have from, uh, from my father. But in the biggest con, he wrote about inflation. And he, he basically said that to the Keynesian economist, they worship inflation as if it's a god, right? Because that's the, inflation is the answer to every problem as far as the Keynesian is concerned. But he said that they don't want to actually speak the name of their Lord, right? They, that they refuse to s say inflation, right? But what they do is they use other ways to describe inflation without saying it's inflation. So, for example, if the Keynesian thinks the we need more inflation, what they'll say is we need to stimulate the economy. Uh, we need to ease credit. We need to expand credit. We need to expand the money supply, we need to uh, prime the pump. We need to you know, increase the deficits. I mean, all these things basically boil down to printing money, which is inflation. And my father actually had a word for it. He called it a zig, right? And so what a zig was is whenever an economist or a politician was describing inflation and saying how the solution to this problem was to create inflation or more inflation, but he couched it in some other language where he didn't actually use the word inflation, but basically described something that would basically be inflation, like expanding the money supply or expanding credit or whatever. He called it a zig. The economists back in the 60s and 70s didn't want to say inflation. And the reason was the people knew back then that inflation was bad. So if a Keynesian economist's solution to a problem was, let's create some inflation, the public would be like, what are you kidding? Why would we want inflation? I mean, wh why do you want to solve our problem by making a bigger problem? Right? Everybody knew inflation was bad back in the 60s and 70s, right? But now that we've got so many more people in college, right, in these government schools, they don't know. Because while the politicians or the economists back in the 70s didn't want to say the name inflation, right? They wanted to keep it quiet. Now, they're not even embarrassed about it. The politicians come out or the economists come out and they say, we need inflation. We need more inflation. We've got to create inflation. We've got to increase the inflation rate. Nobody would have said something that dumb in the 70s because they knew the public wouldn't have bought it. So they had to hide it. They had to hide their love for inflation. They had to worship that God in secret by coming up with all kinds of euphemisms to describe what they were doing in a way that the public didn't realize that it was just another name for inflation. But now, I guess we're all so stupid, we've all been so dumbed down, that they don't have to hide it. They can come right out of the closet, and they can say, we need inflation. Inflation is our God, and that's who we worship, and we need more of it. And everybody is convinced, and so you can write articles like this in Bloomberg congratulating Australia for having more inflation. They've solved their problem. The problem was a lack of inflation, not enough inflation. And now they have more and everything is great. I mean, this is the George Orwell world that we live in, where the government has managed to convince us, convince us that inflation is good. I mean, back in the 70s, they'd have to hide it from us. That was their, their dirty little secret that they were creating inflation. You know, and of course, inflation was considered bad, right? Whip inflation now, right? That was... Uh, the campaign, the buttons that Gerald Ford was passing out. Whip inflation. Now we have to whip up inflation. Right? No, who wants to whip inflation? We have to whip deflation. And the way 
it was measured back in the day. When Nixon imposed wage and price controls, inflation was 4%. So 4% inflation was considered so bad that the government would have to impose price controls. I mean, you're talking about something that this is, you know, emergency measure. Of course, it was unconstitutional and the price controls don't work. But you better believe inflation was a big problem for Nixon to try to, you know, impose mandatory wage and price controls across the country. You know, how, how much lower? I mean, according to even the government, year over year inflation, the way the government measures it is 2 percent year over year CPI. So it's halfway to the 4% that was so bad that we needed wage and price controls. So the people understood that inflation was a bad thing. But now the government's got everybody convinced that it's a great thing. But of course, from the point of view of a debtor, inflation is always good. If you have a lot of debt, you want to inflate it away. And, and so now the government has much more debt than it did back in the 1970s. And so they, they're more desperate for inflation. But the fact that they have dumbed down the public into now accepting that inflation is now a good thing, that it's not a bad thing, right? And so the job of the central banks is not to fight inflation, but to create inflation. Now, of course, they pretend that if inflation ever got too high, well, they would do something about it, but that's part of the bluff because they can't do anything about it, certainly not the Federal Reserve. What would the Federal Reserve do? What if inflation did spike up the way the government measures it to 4 or 5%? Would they do anything? No. What are they going to do? Are they going to jack up interest rates to 6 or 7 or 8%? Of course not. They can't do anything. So the only thing they can really do is continue to put out bogus inflation statistics. Because if they ever showed that inflation was above their target, and then they didn't do anything to bring it back down because it's impossible, because they would prick the bubbles. I mean, imagine what would happen to uh, the housing market, to corporate sector with all the debt they have. What would happen to the government itself? If the government had uh, to pay a higher rate of interest on the enormity of this $19 trillion national debt and rising. And in fact, the budget deficits now have just taken a big turn higher, and that trend's going to continue. And I think already Barack Obama might have doubled the national debt since he was sworn in. And I pointed this out. I mean, we doubled the debt, doubled it, right? That means we added as much debt under Obama as we did from George Washington to George W. Bush. And of course, if this continues, the next president is going to double the, the 19 trillion to what, 40 trillion? I mean, that's impossible, right? So there has to be a crisis somewhere along the way. There's no way we can continue on this trajectory, but we have to continue on this trajectory in order to prevent everything from imploding. That's the problem. The bigger the debt, the bigger the economy is based on debt the more debt we need to sustain the growth. So we have to be able to grow this thing on that trajectory, which is impossible, which is why it's all going to come to an end. The only hope the government has is inflation. That's their only, all they could do is try to inflate everything so that the numbers go up, so that the debt comes down relative to the larger economy, but only in an inflationary sense. It's not real economic growth, but they've got to make prices go up. So they've got everybody convinced that inflation is a good thing. But the crisis that's going to come, ultimately, the dollar crisis is going to come when the Federal Reserve has to allow inflation well above their 2% target and they do nothing to rein it in. And that's when the markets perceive that th there's a problem here because the Fed, you know, talking about reining in inflation is one thing, but when they're forced to actually 
you know, back up their words with actions and they fail to do it because they can't do it, that's when you have a run on the dollar. That's when you have the, the real collapse in the currency. And that's what's ultimately going to come. But before that happens, the dollar has a long way to drop before it's going to push the CPI to a level that will finally show the extent to which prices are rising. Because so far, governments are pretty capable of uh, disguising this. The methodology for reporting prices is so flawed now that you really have to have a dramatic amount of inflation before any of it shows up in an official measure. But of course, of course, all of it shows up in the lives of everyday people. I mean, they feel it, right? That's why for all the years that the government was telling us there was no inflation, when you polled the public and asked them, hey, what's the, what's the most important concern that you have? Rising prices was always number one. It beat uh, the environment. It beat health care. It beat unemployment. You know, so in, in times when the government was telling us there was no inflation, as far as the voters were concerned, inflation was their biggest economic problem. Now, one of the most interesting things I think that I saw on television over the last couple of days was an interview with Richard Fisher, who used to be at the Fed. And now he's a contributor for CNBC. And this guy, you know, he's been saying some pretty good stuff. You know, he's the one that said, look, the Fed is a gigantic weapon and it's out of ammunition. He's the one that said we front loaded the, the bull market. I mean, and, and in this interview with CNBC, he basically said, look, we all knew the market was going to go down 20 percent. Right. And we at least I mean, everybody was expecting this. He's saying it's no big deal because everybody at the Fed knew that, you know, we had pumped up the market with uh, with cheap money and we all knew that the stock market would go down they did really they all knew it i mean well they sure did a pretty good job of hiding that information I mean, if they all knew it why didn't they just prepare people for it just say look you know we're going to raise rates and you know the market's going to go down 20 percent right away but don't worry about it because you know that's okay we're prepared for that we knew that we artificially pumped up the market no but after the market comes collapsing down and of course nobody who's still at the fed is saying this He's only saying because he's no longer there. But apparently everybody at the Fed knew this was going to happen. Right. I guess if these guys were running hedge funds, they all would have made a fortune because they all would have been short because they knew exactly what was going to happen. But really, the most important part of this interview was not Richard Fisher saying not to worry about the decline in the market because they all knew it was going to happen. Is when he talked about QE and zero percent rates, because there he says almost the exact same thing that I've been saying. Except when he says it, they're all polite, right? And they all, you know, show him a lot of respect. And when I say it, you know, they make fun of me and they, they, they say what I'm saying is outrageous. Well, here's what he said. And I couldn't even believe he admitted this. He said that we have no idea, and we meaning him and everybody at the Fed, he said we have no idea whether or not quantitative easing actually worked. He said we have no idea if 0% interest rates actually work. No idea. And now he said, he said, Ben Bernanke wrote a really good book, but the final chapter hasn't been written. This is what he said, because Ben Bernanke's book, The Courage to Act, is all a self-congratulatory pat on the back that what we did worked. And Dick Fisher is saying, we don't know if it worked. He's saying he wrote that book, but he, he shouldn't have, he should have waited because we don't know. And here's what Dick Fisher said. And this is exactly what I've been saying. He said that you don't know if it's worked until you successfully end the program. He said the Fed has to normalize interest rates, shrink its balance sheet back down, and then if everything is still okay, then we know it worked. That's exactly what I've been saying the entire time. I've been saying you can't claim victory 
while you still have the, the, the policy in effect. You know, it's like it's like somebody, you know, an alcoholic claiming he beat alcohol before he checks into rehab. No, go through the rehab first. Stop drinking, get sober, and then tell me that your policy was successful. Don't tell me that you successfully gotten sober when you're still high as a kite because you're still drinking and all you're doing is talking about checking into rehab. That's basically what Ben Bernanke took credit for. I use the analogy of the airline pilot. I said he's taking he credit for a successful flight, but he hasn't landed yet. He just took off. All right, but the hard part is landing, uh, and he doesn't know how to do it. So I've, been, I've had all kinds of metaphors that I've used to describe this situation that, yeah, it's easy to get on drugs. It's kicking the habit is the difficult part, right? And so Dick Fisher, obviously, he recognizes this. The only thing I disagree with Fisher on is he said, we don't know if it worked or not. We have to wait and see. Well, I know it didn't work. I don't have to wait and see. What do I have to wait and see? I know that printing a bunch of money and creating bubbles in financial markets never works. I mean, I wonder why if Dick Fisher can point to any example in history where this has worked. For him to say we don't know whether or not it worked, I think he's lying. He has to know it didn't work. That's why he opposed some of it, because it can't work. It's never worked. All it does is make the problems bigger. All you do is set yourself up for a bigger crash. So I don't have to wait to see. I don't have to wait and see what the effect is going to be if the Fed raises rates and shrinks its balance sheet. I know what the effect is because I'm not an idiot. It's not like I, I've never looked at history at all. And I'm, this is the first time I've seen this. And it can't be the first time that Dick Fisher has seen this. We've all seen it. It's happened over and over again. And it always ends the same. Although maybe Dick Fisher is insane. Right. Because what is he saying? He's saying we've done the same thing that other central bankers have done throughout history. And every other time it's been done, it's ended in disaster. But I'm not sure how it's going to end up this time. This time it might be different. This time it might work. See, that's that classic definition of insanity. Right. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So Dick Fisher expects a different result, although he doesn't actually expect it. He's just hoping for it. He's hoping that this time it's different. He's not sure, right? But I'm sure, I am positive that this time it's not different at all. It's exactly the same. The only thing that's different this time is it's bigger, right? It's the same problem, only bigger. It's a bigger bubble. And so when it pops, the fallout is going to be bigger. The carnage in the financial markets is going to be bigger. I mean, why else do you think the Fed left interest rates at zero for seven years in the first place? Why didn't they raise them two or three years ago? Because they're scared to death of doing it. Why do you think Janet Yellen is still saying we're going to move rates up very, very slowly? They're going to be really low for a really long time because she's afraid to raise them. Why is it that even though she talked about shrinking the balance sheet, it's still growing? She's still reinvesting all the, the principal that matures. She's still reinvesting all the interest because it's impossible. It is impossible to get out. Like I said from the very beginning, this is a monetary roach motel. And there is no way out of a roach motel, right? <laughs> Ask a roach. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. 
But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is truth in media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with truthinmedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, truthinmedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make truthinmedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into the Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit truthinmedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access the Truth in Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed.